welcome to the official podcast of FCS Fans Nation with your hosts, Kyler Neal, Matthew Frazee, and Lawrence Smith. FCS Fans Nation, there was no cracking of a beer sound because I am so excited for week zero of FCS football. The kickoff is upon us and you are listening to the best podcast for FCS football, the FCS Fans Nation podcast with your unbiased Bison admin, Matthew Frazee here. And joined with me always is Duke Doug, Lawrence Smith himself and screeching American Eagle, Kyler Neal. Gentlemen, are we excited and ready for week zero of FCS football? Mr. Kyler Neal, how are we doing tonight? Absolutely not. I hate football. I am not excited. Nothing about week zero excites me. Besides, that was all a lie. I am super pumped. Football offseason is great, but it sucks because there's no actual football. Um, but I'm doing good. I just opened myself a beer. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pumped. I can't wait. It's this Saturday. It is coming up. Cannot wait. Uh, Lawrence, how are you on this week zero eve? I'm doing well. I just want to say, though, that if Kyler is an American Eagle, I want to be an American Duke Dog. American Duke Dog. Old English. Tough to beat. The OG. I love it. Go back to Canada, Lawrence. Go back to Canada. <laughs> We will have some American football to debate and discuss throughout this podcast and moving forward, boys. Uh, But before we do that, we actually have a special promotion hooking us up this season, guys. We are going to be plugging one of the best products out there on the market. So we have some exciting news for you guys today. This episode is actually brought to you by the Versus Sports Simulator app. The Versus Sports Simulator app is one of the most accurate sports analytical tools on the market today. Did you know that last season, the Versus Sports Simulator was accurate on 76% of all college football games on the year, higher than most of my grades in high school? That's pretty impressive. And that's including NAIA, D3, D2, FBS, and of course, the best division of college football, the FCS. And other sports analytic tools like Sergin and ESPN are hovering around 74%. But did you know that if you want to impress your family and friends by potentially knowing the outcome of games, there is nothing better than the Versus Sports Simulator app. Or maybe you're heading to Vegas sometime soon and you're looking to play some bets besides red or black. Or maybe you're just a fan of sports and sports analytics. No matter what you're into, the Sports Simulator app is the way to go. And you can download the app today on the Google Play or iTunes App Store by searching the Versus Sports Simulator and you can claim a 25% discount by saying the promo code FCS Fans Nation. Just type in FCS Fans Nation, get your 25% off, and own one of the greatest sports simulator apps out there. The Versus Sports Simulator app is proud to sponsor our show, and we're proud to have them as a sponsor. So thank you very much for the Sports Simulator app for hooking us up. And gentlemen, shall we kick off some of our fans' question from FCS Fans Nation? You guys ready to go? Absolutely. Let's do it. Awesome, awesome. Um, as our all-time listeners know, and any of our new listeners, the FCS Fans Nation Facebook page, Instagram, Twitter, the debates and questions that are posted on there is what guides our discussion. 
So we're a pretty rare podcast. We actually go off of what the fans want, and that's specific. So let's start with a real easy question here. Guys, let's talk a little bit about FCS versus FBS, because that's what a lot of the first week, second week matchups are going to look like for most teams. And Preston Adams, a great JMU fan, he wants to know what's an FCS and FBS matchup you would love and dream about to attend. So Lawrence, what's an FCS or FBS matchup that you would love to actually be at? There's a lot of pride in the state of Virginia about uh, whose football team is the best. And uh, the last few years, it seems to have come down to Virginia Tech and JMU. Um, Now, as pretty much everyone that listens to this podcast will know, we, we, JMU, did beat Virginia Tech in the 2010 season. And they have refused to schedule us since then. So I think uh, getting uh, the Hokies back on the schedule would would be a, a great matchup for me. I think we can do it again. That would be phenomenal. And arguably, JMU looking in an even more positive direction, ooh, that would be a fun, fun upset in quotes to see. Kyler, what would be your dream FCS or FBS matchup for Preston Adams? So I actually picked a game that is going to be happening in the season of 2021. So UC Davis... just signed a deal with historic powerhouse USC. Um, This is the first time USC has ever scheduled in an FCS opponent, which is pretty awesome. This will be a true matchup where you can see how a really good coached FCS team can compete against maybe what's not the best coached FBS team, but an FBS team who has one of the most talented rosters in the country. And like, just to explain it a little bit for an example of the 2018 recruiting class, I'm going to talk about three of the, you know, probably three of the top four biggest upsets that we've had in recent years and their type of talent versus USC's. So when North Dakota state beat Iowa, you know, Iowa's class in 2018. So I I know what North Dakota state beat them a couple of years ago, but just, just reference of the type of talent they have. Iowa has zero, four stars, zero, five stars, and they got 22, three stars in the 2018 class, Washington state Eastern upset them in the 2018 class. They had zero, five star, two, four stars, and then 25 three star and then Virginia Tech when James Madison you know upset them back in the day um, this is the type of talent they get zero five stars seven four stars and 19 three stars and now you're going to look at USC that same class four five stars 13 four stars and only one three star so <laughs> so for the most part um, you know the top FCS schools you know they'll be able to upset some of these FBS but a majority of the time, they're not able to upset someone who has just the sheer talent um, because a lot of the times, like Iowa, Virginia Tech, WSU, they're recruiting mostly three stars, which is what our highest type of recruits are. You know, Very rarely will a four-star go to an FCS school. So it's just those FBS programs have more depth from the same type of strength of talent that we're grabbing. USC is completely different. They're not grabbing any of the kids who are going to FCS unless they have to just fill a position. <laughs> Three stars are not on their radar. So it'll be really fun to see what a you know in-state school who's really coached well um, and how they can maybe adapt and try and compete with these five-star, four-star athletes who should just run the field with them. But that's, that's a dream matchup for me to go to. Awesome. Awesome. Um, mine is kind of a cop-out. I mean, you're going to hear it and you're going to say, wow, that's really easy, crazy. Uh, but seriously, 
it's happening next year. It's NDSU at Oregon. And that's because NDSU fans will scream to the hills about, you know, oh, how many times have we heard this team so fast or, oh, their offense is so quick. Um, and then we just shut them down. Well, now we get a chance to go to Nike, Nike University, and face the high-end speed, the fastest speed that's out there. So it's going to be interesting to see what the corn-fed farm boys and our recruiting classes will look like against all that speed. So dream matchup would be uh, the powerhouse defensive run-heavy NDSU versus a elite speed uh, FBS team. And I think Oregon presents that. So legitimately, if it wasn't for Oregon, I'd pick somebody else who was more quick up-tempo maybe like in Oklahoma, more modern day. And uh, it'd be interesting to see. So I'm excited for it. So, so man, well, quick question for you. Yeah, what do you got? What would you say is the fastest FBS team or even just team North Dakota State's played? Um, from when I'm looking at North Dakota State's schedule, probably Eastern Washington is the fastest team you guys played. Um, I don't even think the FBS teams you guys played have been tremendously fast. They kind of do the same type of routing and running NDSU does. So I'm curious on your thoughts on that. Who would be the fastest team you guys have ever played? It would have, in terms of um, not athletic speed, in terms of the actual offense and how they run that up tempo. Um, yeah, you're going to throw in the modern day Sam Houston's, the Eastern Washingtons, the FCS, Kansas State, and all the Iowa, uh, Minnesota. None of them really presented that problem. So this is going to be the first time we're really going to see it. So I'm excited for that. You know, we we had scheduled the games against the Big Ten, but now moving into the Pac-12 here. Um, into the future they're much more up tempo traditionally in some of these programs so yeah I I definitely put Eastern and Sam Houston and others in that up tempo speed I mean even like Southern Illinois will run the up tempo stuff but Oregon will be a whole different different beast so yeah you'll you'll have a good time over there in Eugene Um, Autzen Stadium is awesome I can't wait Nike University good stuff hey great answer guys hopefully that gives some dream matchup scenarios for Preston to know about so um, guys, let's move into some more questions here. We've got quite a few from our first week zero um, question posting. And this is a great one from Ben Schlieger. And I'm going to lead off with stating like I do every episode, I butcher last names at a historic rate. So if your last name is wrong, try to correct me. And next week I'll forget and I'll butcher it again. So just a disclaimer. So Ben Schlieger, which conference game could the top 10 teams lose? He's talking about Eastern Washington, Jacksonville State, NDSU, James Madison. If you had to pick one game in the regular season, which one would they lose? And I'll kick it right off with NDSU. I think NDSU loses two games because of young quarterback play, a little bit of offensive turnover. Um, I think the defense will be just fine. My two games I'm going to pick them to lose are going to be at South Dakota State because South Dakota State is extremely scored away. It's a very talented roster. Uh, if South Dakota State's quarterback play is not there, we'll see how it goes. But it'll be two redshirt freshmen. They'll be at SDSU. I think that presents problems. And I think at Youngstown State for North Dakota State is also a loss. If you look at Easton Stick versus Youngstown, I think there's only one game where he, um, him and NDSU over the last four years won a game that was more than 10 points. It included an overtime game, a last-second win. Last year's game was difficult. It's because that 3-4 base defense of Youngstown really gives North Dakota State's style of offense trouble. Young roster late in the year at Youngstown, not in the Fargo Dome. I'll take those two losses for NDSU. Um, and then I'd like to speak on JSU, but I think I'll let Kyler take JSU and Eastern because I'm guessing our answers will be hand in hand. Kyler, go ahead. Yeah, so I kind of broke down every top 10, but I'll just do the the couple that you said, or maybe even the big sky in JSU. And then maybe um, since a lot of it is the CAA after, maybe Lawrence can take it. Um, does that work for you guys? Yeah, that's great. So for Eastern Washington, 
I honestly see zero conference losses. Um, but if Eastern was to lose one, my guess is it would have to be, you know, Montana at Wagaris playing in front of 25,000 fans, um, 25 plus thousand fans is always going to be a tough match. Uh, we didn't get to play them last year. They're fired up. Bobby Houck is excited. It seems like, you know, the fans and stuff are buying in. So if we had to lose a conference game, I would say it's probably Montana has the best chance. Uh, but our conference schedule is pretty easy. So I'm not sure we actually lose any. Um, then number five, UC Davis. UC Davis has a much tougher schedule than Eastern Washington for conference play. They're actually playing Montana State, Weber, and Montana. Um, but the good news is they actually get all of them at home, which is going to benefit UC Davis. So I would say out of their schedule, probably Montana State has the best chance of winning. But I would say it's a toss-up between one of those three um, where anyone could win, but probably UC Davis will be able to um, win a majority of those. And then we have Jacksonville State. This is another one like Eastern. I don't see Jacksonville State losing any OVC games this year. But if, you, if you're going to pick one, it's got to be SEMO. Um, that's definitely the best chance to knock off JSU. But it's also JSU's hum, homecoming, I believe. And I just don't see JSU really losing any OVC games. And then the last one I would talk about is number eight, Weber. So they're at UC Davis and they're at Montana. I actually think Weber is probably going to lose both those games so those would be my two games where i'm thinking weber does lose and maybe they go six and two in conference play awesome great intel lawrence um looking into james madison's schedule how do you see the dukes playing out and then um there are some of the other teams if you got some research down on them i really believe that jmu will go undefeated in the caa this season if i had to choose who i think is the most likely loss on the schedule um, I'm probably either going to say Towson, October 26th, or uh, when we play New Hampshire. I think New Hampshire is a team that might sneak up on a couple people last year, or this year, you know, last year, they had uh, very strong preseason expectations and kind of got hit by the injury bug. That should be in the rearview mirror. I think this year they're going to rebound be a, a fairly strong team. You know, they beat JMU last year in Durham um, we get them at home this year but that's still a game that I look at and think yeah you know if things don't go exactly right that could be a game that we drop now if oh. you're asking if you're asking about the other two CAA teams in the in the top 10 you know Towson and Maine um, they do play each other so each of those teams too could lose to each other um, I think is I could see that game going either way and then again, I'll throw New Hampshire back out there for Maine as well. Um, that game is in Durham, New Hampshire. I, I think UNH could come out on top of that one as well. Lawrence, should be should JMU be fearing Elon at all due to you know Coach Signetti's history there? I think the Phoenix are going to come out. They're going to be super hyped for that game. It is a home game for them, um, so you know that'll help some. Um, JMU hasn't traditionally had a problem playing at Elon, though. Um, the last two games have been something, you know, like 100 points to three final score. Um, but, you know, that's kind of what we thought last year as well. You know, a lot of JMU fans were saying, oh, we never lose to Elon. We've blown them out every time we've played them in the CAA. Um, I think this will be the year that we can see whether the tide has turned for Elon or not. Um, but they'll definitely be pumped up to to play their old coach and 
that'll be a game that JMU has to look out for on the schedule. Awesome. Awesome. Some of the other ones we may have missed guys. Um, Kennesaw state obviously rounds out number 10 for those top 10 teams. They play two NAIA teams. The it's legitimately one of the worst strength of schedules I've ever seen for an FCS team um, versus point and at uh, yeah. Versus Reinhardt. I, I can't even get into the details of those games. Basically, with Kennesaw, I don't really see a loss on their schedule unless it happens in the conference play. So I would say something like Monmouth, who might do pretty well against them, or probably North Alabama, who's up and coming and everybody kind of likes as kind of this sexy hidden pick. So for Kennesaw, I think they're going to do really well because of a weak strength of schedule. And like Wofford, I'm really high on Furman this year. So even though that game's at home, I can see them dropping that one. And South Dakota State always seems to trip up at some random team. So I could see a UNI loss or a Youngstown State. Obviously, NDSU could beat them, but I'm picking them to beat NDSU. So uh, there are a lot of options for these top 10 teams to drop games. I really like Kyler's point. We've talked about this as admins. I think Eastern has uh, a very favorable schedule, and I think they have the best chance to kind of run the table through the FCS stuff um, just because I think their schedule is more favorable than like a James Madison. So so I actually think Kennesaw still has the easiest chance. Um and I, I do agree with your Monmouth pick. They have, you know, if, if anyone has a chance, it's Monmouth. But I don't even think Monmouth stays within 17 points. And looking at Kennesaw's schedule, I, I know this is off topic a little bit, but let's say they do go 12-0 and and they do have that FBS win over Kent State, who is just awful. They, you know, they would not make the playoffs in the FCS. So let's say they go 12-0. and They have that FBS win. Would you guys put them in your top 10? Because looking at their schedule... I don't even know if they'll play anyone who's ranked in the top 50 of the FCS. So would you actually put them in your top 10 if they go 12 and 0 and maybe there's some competitive games? I don't, I don't know if I will. I think, Oh, it's tough. It, you know, you have to see how the rest of the field falls, but if it's between like three, two lost teams within the power three conferences of the big sky, CA Missouri Valley, and an undefeated Kennesaw, and one has the FBS wins, based off the simple rating system, that might give them a pretty good edge. You'd have to go, you know, based off of separation of win-losses and dig into the math a bit. But, yeah, I, I could see them being at least an eight seed. I mean, McNeese was 10-0 and and got a four seed back in 2014 or 2015, and their strength of schedule was not strong in the Southland that, that year. Um, so just the way the committee operates, which I think they do a really good job, I think I would put them in a top eight seed for playoffs if they went 12 and 0, even though the schedule is real, real bad. Yeah. Disclaimer. I am not on the selection committee. Um, but if I were looking at that eight seed as the last spot and I had 10 and two Maine and 12 and 0 Kennesaw, I'm giving that seed to Maine every day of the week. Which is definitely probably the right call for sure. I'm not sure how this the SRS actually would equate it out, it, but uh, yeah, I would be picking Maine as well in that matchup for sure. So I don't think there were a lot of people that were picking Kennesaw to beat SDSU, even though they were higher ranked going into last season into the playoffs. So, but great discussion, guys. That I, I like how it's leading into other topics and other questions. Good stuff. So. Um, great stuff. And actually we're going to move on to a little bit more details of kind of what Ben is asking about. He actually has kind of a follow-on question, which I really want to address guys. And I'm going to read out exactly what he messaged us, which is a great question. He says, y'all said around the FCS, a lot of teams improved and that the FCS is getting better as a whole, but can you address 
a whole FCS is getting better as a whole, yet predicting a near perfect conference record for the Eastern Washingtons, the JSUs, the NDSUs, um, the JMUs. So if the FCS is getting better as a whole, how are we still predicting these same exact teams to have double-digit win records and get seeds? Is that a little contradictory? Um, what do we mean by there's an emerging elite or championship-worthy tier in comparison to the fact that you think the FCS is also getting better as a whole? I kind of paraphrase a little bit of that, but uh, it's a great question by Ben. I just love that in-depth question. So, Lawrence, I'll kick it to you first because I know you've talked a little bit about how you think there's the parity is disappearing, yet this season is going to be more open. Kind of, let's let's talk a little bit about that. The teams that have kind of traditionally been the favorites the last three or four years are still the favorites, but the teams directly behind them in their conferences are are stronger and closer to challenging than they have been. Um, so, you know, I may say JMU and Eastern are both going to go 8-0 and in conference, but that doesn't mean Towson, Maine, UC Davis, and Weber State are, like, way further down on, you know, the the skill tiers. Because I think they're going to go 8-0, that doesn't necessarily mean that they won't face a challenge this year. Uh, we saw last year that these teams that we perceive to be incredibly strong, you know, got tripped up in the regular season or played closer games in the playoffs. And I think that's just going to grow this year. We're going to see more teams that while they may not necessarily win are going to be more competitive than they have been in years past. Yeah. Really, really good outlook on that. And I would say just the vulnerability of the graduating classes, college football is one in recruiting. I mean, there's other aspects to it, but, Usually teams set themselves up in the recruiting. And when you look at some of the classes that these high-end teams you know about with like North Dakota State and Eastern Washington and others, um, the recruiting is showing that they're not going to be going anywhere. They're established programs and they're going to have opportunities to win national championships. But in years like this where South Dakota State's got a redshirt freshman quarterback, North Dakota State's got one, JMU's got a question with, you know, Danucci there at the, the helm. Um, Eastern Washington had 27 seniors graduate. I know there's a lot of specifics to these things. But you can see other teams who were on the cusp last year who didn't lose a lot are ready to pounce on this vulnerability. So I still think it's an easy pick preseason to say like North Dakota State, Eastern, there's only a few teams that could really get it. But that doesn't mean they're not going to be upset in the quarters or second round and chaos isn't going to occur. You know, teams like Towson and Youngstown State, they make runs and it's possible. So Kyler, a little bit more expansion. What do you think about these uh, details and this great question by Ben? Yeah, for sure. So I, I do think the FCS is getting better as a whole. And I get we are, you know, saying some teams will go undefeated. Like, you know, specifically, he mentioned Jacksonville State and like, let's say Eastern Washington. But when I'm looking at Jacksonville State, I think they're much improved on paper. And, you know, this whole decade, I wouldn't have picked them to be anything above a quarterfinals team. Where on paper, I can see them, you know, pushing it to the semis, possibly making a run depending on, you know, how they improve their actual game time playing because they have the talent there so yes they'll probably run through the ovc but on a whole i wouldn't have picked them to you know make it deep into the playoffs where now i can see them having a chance to upset some of the let's say big three teams and being able to to make a run as for eastern's case honestly it, it's just a matter of scheduling so i do think we have one of the easiest schedules that we have ever had in conference play we avoid you know three of the top four teams and one of those top four teams is Eastern Washington. So we really avoid four of the top four teams in the big sky. So it, it's pretty easy to predict that we will be 
um, you know, potentially going eight and zero. I mean, it's an easy prediction. Maybe it won't happen. Maybe Montana does get a little better. Maybe Southern Utah and their odd years get better. But that's not to say the rest of the Big Sky isn't improving as well. Because we we could lose to Montana State. We could lose to UC Davis. We could lose to Weber. But they're not on our schedules. So if we're looking at pure playoff teams, I think like what Lawrence and Matt said, there's more teams in the playoffs who can slip you up. Even though we are projecting there's going to be a couple teams maybe going undefeated in conference, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that kind of encompasses the whole thing. We're not saying that the FCS isn't getting better and there won't be more competition just because we're predicting those as our championship teams. Uh, But we just think that I think overall, we all think there's more vulnerability of the powerhouses um, than there was before. So there's a lot more question marks in areas and it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out in 2019 as we kick it off this week. So let's go into a little bit of a different topic. We're going to catch this one quickly. Uh, Chris Pennington, awesome James Madison fan on our page, he wants to know, coaches poll in all caps. He wants to know what we like, what we don't like, and how accurate we think it actually is. Um, I'm just going to run through the top 10 quick, and you guys can throw out some top 25 if you want. They got NDSU, JMU, Eastern, South Dakota State, UC Davis, Jacksonville State, Maine, Wofford, Weber, and Kennesaw. Really not that far off, honestly, from the stats official top 25 poll. Um, myself, personally, I don't take the coaches poll serious at all. I don't think the coaches take it seriously at all. I think only a few of them actually submit stuff or look into it, and they go about their day. They got recruiting and other things to worry about. Um, I wish they would scrap it and just do, like, some sort of high-end media poll where, like, Brian McLaughlin and Sam Herter and, like, really well-respected guys, like just a small little poll did something. I mean, I know those guys vote on the stats top 25, but do like kind of a unique, like expert opinion or something. I just think the coaches poll is completely irrelevant, Uh, but I don't mind this poll in terms of the initial setup for the top 10, because I think it matches what last year did. But uh, Kyler, what do you think about the coaches top 25 poll? Because I know you were mentioning it with some of our fans on our page. So like, this might sound really weird to most of y'all, because I have been with Matthew Frazee kind of not seeing the coaches poll as a real poll in the past, but as a preseason poll, I actually think this is super solid. Um, I can't really pick apart much, you know, maybe Kennesaw state. I wouldn't put them in the top 10 because they overturned so much. They've never had, you know, a senior class that has left them until now. So I just want to see what type of depth they have before I say, you know, they are a top 10 team and based off their schedule, I still, don't think I'll know if they are a top 10 team unless they're blowing everyone out by 40. But other than that, like I actually really like this coach's poll. I think it's solid. Um, we'll see how it goes throughout the rest of the season when, you know, coaches get real busy and they're not paying attention to everyone outside their own conference. And that's where it could get a little muddled, but in the preseason, I don't hate it. I like it. Awesome, man. Awesome. Lawrence, you, you split, split us down the middle here. What do you think? Do you think uh, you love the coaches poll right now or you're not a fan? I think the coaches poll right now is fine, but I'm still not a fan of the concept in general because I agree with Kyler. Like they don't take it seriously during the year. They've got way more important things to, to focus on. And and I don't blame them for that either. I think it's kind of, kind of funny how the FCS nation at large kind of puts the coaches poll on some strange pedestal. Um, it's it, it's really not useful for that much because teams are focused on themselves and their upcoming opponents. Um, so like the preseason poll is probably the strongest that we're going to see it all year. After the season kicks off, I'm I'm not going to pay attention to this poll at all. 
Lawrence, didn't you make an observation that there's only like 26 coaches who voted because there's yeah. only 26 first place votes? That 26 seems... first place votes and out of 126 teams. So I don't put any weight in this poll. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, Kyler, uh, I, you're definitely right in terms of how it looks. Like it's impressive that they pulled it off how it is. It's just not something we're going to be uh, overly excited about. We still post it as one of the official uh, polls that's allowed on our FCS Fans Nation page. Uh, but it's more or less just to see how many ha-ha emotions come up on it and to see the funny jokes that follow. So, Sorry, coaches, if you're listening and you actually vote in it. We still love you. But focus on your team. Focus on your conference. Don't focus on the polls. <laughs> yep, absolutely. absolutely. And we just, oh, three people unsubscribed. Ah, oh, man, three coaches. They're gone. Uh, guys, Cody Werlinger wants to know, great question. Do you see more schools moving up to the FBS or down to the FCS in the next five to 10 years? Great, great question. I'll say just a little, little thing about what's going to happen here with college football. I've said it many times in 2023 is when the television deals are going to get redone for NBC, CBS, Fox, all the big networks. That's when you'll see shifts of the non-Power 5, Power 5, and movement, if any, because of television markets, money, and revenue. So up until 2023, I know you said 5 to 10 years, um, that we won't really be seeing much, I don't think. But to get back to his question, Lawrence, do you see more teams moving up to the FBS or down to the FCS in 5 to 10 years? You're always going to have more teams that want to move up to the you know bigger and better quote-unquote things then are going to want to admit defeat and move down. I give all the credit in the world to Idaho for saying, yeah, FBS wasn't working out. We need to move down, take stock in our program, reevaluate things, and get back to being a successful program. That being said, I still think you're going to see more teams try and move up than we're going to see move down, especially in the short term. You know, if we're talking... 15 20 years down the road you know then the landscape might be different you might say oh yeah fbs is actually the way to uh fcs is actually the way to go um but right now i still think kind of fbs is is where a lot of schools ultimately have their eyes jmu uc davis kennesaw that more teams are always going to want to move up than move down and Kyler, are you more of the up or down aspect of that FPS and FCS? Yeah, so I actually you know, did some research and tried to look at which teams could potentially move up, which teams could potentially move down. And like Matt, you said in the very beginning, it definitely depends on this new conference or the new TV alignment, um, which is going to potentially take place in 2023. You know, maybe nothing will change. Maybe there'll be a lot of significant things that will change. But in terms of like who I can see right now moving up, um, you know, with a conference invite, because I think conference invites are, you know, important. James Madison, UC Davis, North Dakota State, Delaware, and then, you know, maybe a team like Jacksonville State might get an invite to the Sun Belt. Um, but without any type of invites, I don't see anyone besides maybe Delaware and UC Davis being able to financially make the jump like Liberty. So it all depends on who's going to give an invite out. Um, if there were invites, those are kind of the teams I see most likely going to happen. And then when you look at FBS teams making a drop down, I honestly think there's a lot that should make the drop down. And, but without maybe a G5 FCS merge, maybe that could happen in 2023 with the TV deals. I only see two 
that will potentially drop down within the next five to 10 years. Those two teams are New Mexico state. Who's an independent, you know, they, they thought they could afford to stay at the FBS level um, after the Sunbelt kicked them out with Idaho. So they're still an independent. My guess is they will eventually drop down unless another FBS West coast conference emerges. And then also the Yukon who just left the AAC, I believe. Um, I think they have potential to drop down. Now I know they have said they are not going to, but a lot can happen within these next couple of years. So I would say there are more FCS teams, you know, that are going to make the jump over FBS um, coming down. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I think progression is just the natural way in life. Like people are going to want to be moving up, you know, get involved in the bowl games, get involved in the money. Uh, we love the FCS and we love the format, but schools are always looking for that next opportunity. And we're always going to be seeing that. So great stuff, guys. A um, few more questions. We enter our speed round and some of the other fun things we got planned. Um, we, Matt Styles wants to know who's a newcomer, a freshman or a transfer that you think will become an FCS household name as the season unfolds. So Matt Styles wants to know specifically about a newcomer on a team that's really going to make some noise. Um, I know it sounds like it's only thing I really focus on, but I don't think like they're going to be household names, but I don't think you can not see how Jabor Gibbs, redshirt freshman, South Dakota State, and Trey Lance, redshirt freshman, North Dakota State, both quarterbacks, both getting the starting jobs as redshirt freshmen after Taron Christian and Easton Stick graduate as some of the most successful quarterbacks from their schools. I don't see how those two don't just become names around the FCS over the next four years, barring injury or just puking terrible performance throughout their redshirt freshman year, causing them to be pinched. I think so. Jabor Gibbs, South Dakota State, I think of him as a new Terran Christian, and Trey Lanch is a new Eastern stick, barring one of those two crazy things. So uh, those would be mine. Uh, Kyler, you got a newcomer there for Mr. Matt Stiles? Yeah, what I wrote down exactly was, the easy answer is Trey Lance because every NDSU quarterback becomes a household name, but I'm not going to go with that guy. Um, I'm going to go with the guy I've been hyping on for you know over a year. That's Casey Bowman, quarterback out of Montana State. So this kid was a top 45 pro-style QB recruit in the nation when Montana State got him. Um, he was already NFL-sized out of high school. You know He's 6'6", 225 pounds going into his freshman year. Uh, he redshirted, so he was able to put on more muscle. And, you know, hopefully he was able to develop and learn kind of the new speed of the big sky over his really small high school days. So he was just announced that he won the starting job. Um, I get he's unproven, but you have to remember Montana State, they developed a linebacker into an all-American QB last year. So just think what they could do if they have a legit true QB. So, yeah, my guess is Bowman. Um, maybe you won't know his name this year. But throughout the next four years of his career, I think he could become a huge household name and a potential top tier, you know, NFL draft pick from the FCS due to his size alone. Awesome, awesome answer. Yeah, Montana State, they were exciting before. Now with this young man coming in here, it appears to be the year of the red shirt freshman quarterback. I don't know. This is crazy. Lawrence, you got a newcomer that you're really excited about? Brock Jensen, Carson Wentz, Easton Stick. If Trey Lance doesn't become a household FCS name, something will have gone terribly wrong. The other name that I have written down is the transfer wide receiver from Notre Dame, who will now be playing at Jacksonville State, Kevin Stefferson. 
all I've been hearing all offseason from all of the Jacksonville State fans in our group is Zarek Cooper is going to have a hell of a year. And if that's true, he's going to need someone to throw to. And I think this kid might just be the answer. We all know JSU is all about that offense. Put a prolific quarterback and a FBS Notre Dame transfer together. Um, I think we could see something special. Awesome. Yeah, JSU wideouts. They are coming in hot and heavy. Good stuff, guys. Um, Last one here before we kind of jump into the Week 0 game. Uh, Adam Peterson wants to know if there are any head coaches you guys are aware of that might be on the hot seat already to start the season, like this is a do-or-die year. He We get this like every season, but he specifically wants to know about Bo Pelini. Um, he wants to know if he doesn't finish over 500, at least 6-5, and 7-4, and four, could he be gone? I've answered this before. I don't know where else Youngstown turns to from their powerhouse times back in the 90s to – to you know, do what the program has done here in the last five, four or five years with Bo Pelini. I mean, he's made a run to the championship. He always gives North Dakota State fits. You have to just believe that despite a pretty rough year last year, uh, it's just going to click one of these times. So I don't think he's on the hot seat at all. I think Bo Pelini is perfectly safe. I think despite how crazy people think he is, he knows exactly what he's doing. Um, a really funny story I always like with that is my good buddy Ross Nelson was like, before they played NDC last year, Bo Pelini's press conference, he's like, our team has just given up on the season. They're done. They've given up. They've given up. And he tore his team apart, and everyone said, oh, good old Bo saying that. And then Ross goes, don't you think you know, don't you think he knows what he's doing, where he's telling us that they're going to come in here and give it up? And then Youngstown played the one of the closest and toughest games against North Dakota State last year because maybe NDSU mentally was like, oh, we got these guys. They're already giving up. So he may be quirky, but – the guy's a hell of a coach, and he knows how to play the mental game, whether it's a press conference or post-game interview. So uh, I think Bo Pelini is perfectly safe in Youngstown. And coaches on the hot seat, I, you just got to look with those bad records and consistent in performance. Um, I don't think there's a high-end team that's recruiting really well like South Dakota State or Montana State or others that are really going to have trouble firing a coach. You're more likely to lose those coaches to the FPS. So, uh, Kyler? Do you have anybody you think is on the hot seat and should be sweating a bit? Yeah, I think um, Ernest Collins Jr. from Northern Colorado. Like, I get he's probably not a big name. A lot of you probably didn't know who the coach of Northern Colorado was. Um, I know Northern Colorado is not expected to win any type of national title anytime soon, but they do have success at the D2 level. They've won two D2 national championships, so their history is there. They want to win. Well, right now he's entering his ninth season as the Bears head coach. And he's gone 26 and 62 total and just 17 and 47 in conference play since, you know, joining the big sky and being a coach there. That means his average season is two and six in conference play since he has, you know, taken over Northern Colorado. Um, In my opinion, I'm rooting for him. He seems like a great guy. I love listening to his interviews. um, And he seems to really care about his players and them succeeding off the football field. But no program should settle for those types of records. And if he doesn't improve, you know, UNC this year. And I'm saying like, they need to at least go seven and five or higher. I would fire him on the spot, even maybe halfway through the season. If he isn't stepping up the ball, because he, I think if Eastern even had a couple seasons of what Northern Colorado has had for this decade, uh, we would have fired our coach after that first or second season. Interesting call. Lawrence, any coaches you can think that should be sweating a bit. I just want to touch on Bo Pelini first before I uh, tell my choice. 
Bobolini is such a big name in like the landscape of college football. An FCS team would have such a hard time firing, you know, a big personality like that. Like I think Youngstown would get more kickback from firing Bopolini than like benefit that they would from getting rid of him. Um, so I, I agree with you, Matt. I think, I think Polini's job is pretty much safe as long as he wants it, you know, unless he's going like two and nine, two and 10 for like three or four seasons in a row, as long as he's winning five, six games a year. Like I, I think his job is safe. Absolutely. The the coach that I'm going to throw out there is uh, university of Richmond's coach, Russ Huseman. And this is kind of predicated on the assumption that like Richmond will decide to care about football because they've kind of turned themselves into a basketball school the last few years. Um, which is a little bit sad too, because you know that's JMU's favorite rivalry. Um, you know, it's just the last couple of years haven't really been the same. Um, but I think Richmond's got that potential. I think they institutionally they have the potential to to care about football again. If Richmond can't turn it around the season and you know break five hundred or at least be right around that mark. Um, I don't know that Huseman will necessarily be gone this year, but I think this season could kind of be a marker for, for what's to come. Great, great choice. Um, and I'm going to bounce you right. It was safe for the speed round, Lawrence, but um, Christopher Johnson actually want, he wrote in uh, really crazy terms. He goes, how much does Richmond still suck? Because <laughs> obviously he's a James Madison fan. He's just trying to be funny. But I kind of wanted to use that speed round question to honestly – answer that and do you think it's just because they're kind of transitioning while they'll keep the football program they're more interested in other areas and you know what's being put on the football field richmond wants to believe that they're an ivy league school like i think i truly think that that's kind of how they see themselves and so i almost feel like their current administration thinks that like football's beneath them um but i think I think their football team could be a really good, you know, ambassador for the university. We've seen them win the national championship in 2008. We've seen them, um, you know, go far in the playoffs multiple times since then. And it, it just really kind of strange to me that it seems like their administration, both the athletic department and the university as a whole have kind of given up on the football team the last couple of years. You know, they let, Danny Rocco walk right out the door and he might've been the best coach that they had, you know, in, in quite some time. Um, to answer Chris's question though, Richmond definitely still sucks. <laughs> and yeah, I, I've got a good answer for why does Richmond suck or how much does Richmond suck? So they're good enough to beat Virginia FBS, Virginia and an undefeated conference play North Dakota in the same season while being still bad enough to lose to Ewu, 38-0. That's how much they suck. Yeah, it's uh, it's just been up and down for them, and hopefully they can get some things turned around. If you're a Richmond listener, um, obviously we're using a little bit more brutal terminology, but we got to ask the questions exactly how our fans post them. Um, and hopefully... Richmond doesn't have any uh, fans that are young enough to listen to a podcast. <laughs> uh, so we're 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 kind of talking to the ether the right shade now. Dicky went to Richmond. There you go. The shade is strong for the spiders, guys. We've got one final question here from Brandon Owens, and it sets up perfectly for what we're about to see on Saturday. 
He wants to know how close will the FCS kickoff between Samford and Youngstown State be this weekend. Before you guys dive into it, we'll just look a little bit into Youngstown and Samford from last season. Uh, Youngstown last year finished overall 4-7, and seven, not a great year. A huge upset loss to start the year at home. Butler beat them 23-21. Uh, watch out, North Dakota State. And then, you know, they went on to only have wins against Valparaiso, and I butchered that, Southern Illinois, South Dakota, and UNI. Uh, Sanford had a little bit of a better year. You know, they ended up with six wins. They went six and five. Uh, one of those over a D2, D2 team shorter. They had a really good win uh, at Furman and a really good win at home against Wofford when Wofford, you know, ended up being one of the better teams. And then uh, they actually won at East Tennessee State. So losing Delvin Hodges, who was the player of the year last year, you know, offensive player of the year in the FCS, that's a big loss for Sanford. Youngstown State should bring back the majority of their roster. But they're still trying to find a real identity, I would say, more on the offensive side of the ball with quarterback play and other things. Um, so two teams who kind of had rough goes of it. Kyler, how do you see it playing out on Saturday for a prediction? And then how close will it be? Yeah, so I actually think this is going to be a really competitive, close game as each team are not even near my top 25 radar. But I can see them each being within the top 40. But I can't get over the fact of the loss of Hodges for Samford. Um, he was a legit All-American quarterback at the FCS level, and I don't think they have the talent to replace him right away. My guess is Youngstown State, they probably squeeze out you know, a victory, and my guess is it's going to be semi-low in scoring like 21-14 to because I just don't have any faith in either of their offenses um, going into this year. But I do think it'll be a really good and competitive game. I, I am excited to watch it. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to bounce right off of you before we go to Lawrence and say, I also am going to go with Youngstown State. I know they were four and seven last year, but I don't think Bo Pelini's teams continue to have this negative trend and have four and seven, three and eight records, obviously 12 game season coming up this year. Um, I just don't think Youngstown State is going to be down below 500 this season. I think they're going to bring the defensive competitiveness. I think it's, you know, a run heavy style of game. Um, and Samford, once again, just like Kyler said, I'm pretty much on repeat mode, but I can't get over the All-American loss for a team that only went 6-5 and five and one of those wins over D2 with such a great quarterback and losing him. So I think the physicality of Youngstown takes over, and I'm going to go with a Power 3 team to, to beat the Samford Bulldogs, even though they're going on the road. So I think just historically that's what we've seen and what we're going to continue to see. So uh, Lawrence, what do you think about this matchup? How close should it be? And for a prediction, I'll say Youngstown State um, 24, and I'll say Samford um, 20. What do you got, Lawrence? Today's sponsor, the Versus Sports app, actually says uh, the score of this game in their predictor is 26 to 25 in favor of Youngstown State. So I think you guys are both on the right track that uh, that Youngstown State is, is going to kind of squeak out. There is a 76% um, chance that we are pretty dang close. So yeah, 20, 26 to 25, like that's, you know, that's essentially like pick them, um, you know, take your choice, you know, one turnover can change the entire game. I'm going to just to, just to kind of be a contrarian here, I'm actually going to say that Samford is going to win by a field goal. So I'm going to say 21-24 Samford. Awesome. I love it. So regardless of how this game plays out, 
Brandon answered question, it should be close and it should be competitive. Now, if you might be a little bit more bored by the defensive stuff because we're all predicting low scores, but this one should be close. It should be competitive. And uh, Lawrence will get his praises for our week zero matchup if they pull it off uh, with Sanford. And then Kyler and I will stick with Youngstown State. So it's going to be fun to watch. It's going to be Saturday. This game is played at Sanford and it's at two o'clock. So make sure you're tuning in and make sure you're checking it out. So Great stuff, guys. Um, that answers all of kind of our broad questions. We're going to roll down to our speed round as we're finishing up on the podcast here. So just quick little answers from both of you, and we'll catch these real fast. So speed round questions, we answer everything on our podcast. Adam, Willie, Wiley, which one is it, guys? Which one is it, Lawrence? I believe it's Willie. Willie, yep. See, Adam, I always get it wrong. Adam Willie, an NDSU fan and one of our best on our page. He wants to know, what is your favorite song from High School Musical? A little bit of a throwback. Kyler, High School Musical, what's your favorite? Yeah, my favorite song would be the mute button. Um, <laughs> and it's mainly because I've never watched High School Musical and I never will. So if it is on my TV, I'm either throwing the TV outside and smashing it, or I'm just putting it on mute like a normal American. <laughs> Amazing. Um, uh, Lawrence, what about High School Musical? I was going to say my favorite song was the last one, because then it's over. <laughs> oh, um, I'll cop out as well. I've actually never seen High School Musical. Uh, my wife, Allison, as many sports games as you're eager to. I love going to Broadway plays with her, though, to, to pay her back. Uh, Book of Mormon and Dear Evan Hansen, amazing ones. So I'm going to plug those ones. Uh, guys, what is JSU going to do with all these wide receivers? Joel Clevenger wants to know, what are we going to do with all these wideouts at JSU that are transferring in and look great? Lawrence, what to do with the wideouts? They're going to throw for a metric crap load of yards. A metric crap load. Kyler, what's up with the wideouts at JSU? Yeah, they're not only are they going to throw for a crap load, they're also going to score a crap load. Uh, but I'll give you my real quick opinion, Joel. Honestly, since I went to wide receiver university, I feel like I am the most capable to answer this question. Uh, but I would say you got to redshirt these guys. Even this new four-star true freshman who you just got, who basically was recruited to tons of P5 schools, but he couldn't meet the academic admission requirements. I think you got to redshirt this kid um, just because you already have a tons of transfer talent. Like Lawrence mentioned earlier, the Clemson kid. Uh, plus there's like three other wide receivers who would start on a majority, if not all other FCS teams. So if you don't redshirt or plan on redshirting, you're not going to be maximizing future potential. Eastern has been redshirting a majority of our true freshman wide receivers who are also getting P5 offers or G5 offers just because we already have the talent there. You need a red shirt. You need to use it um, to maximize your team's future potential. Awesome. Good stuff. Guys, who would win North Dakota State or Blue Mountain State? Brent Evans wants to know. As the NDSU admin, I will do a quick answer. If we're a straight-up matchup, NDSU would crush Blue Mountain State. But let's just say they're like, you know what? You guys can use as many steroids and snort as much cocaine and do as many drugs as you want. Uh, Blue Mountain State would destroy us by like a massive amount. So you guys got a prediction, NDSU or Blue Mountain State? Yeah. So looking at like their stadium from watching the show, if I remember, it's a giant stadium, which means they are easily an FBS school and they have won the national championship there. So the argument is, can NDSU basically be Alabama or Clemson? And it's absolutely not. Thad would tear NDSU apart. <laughs> it wouldn't even be close. Oh, yeah. Thad would be hyped up. Um 
from his own personality and other things, I'm sure. Lawrence, Blue Mountain State, or NDSU? I agree with Kyler. Blue Mountain State is definitely an FBS team. Um, I think they're actually modeled after Boise State. Um, Alex Moran is a winner. Um, Trey, <laughs> Trey Lance is is kind of unproven. Um, not kind of unproven. Trey Lance is incredibly unproven. Um, so I'm going to have to stick with... Uh, with with the known commodity here alex moran plus you know 20 some scholarships because they're fbs so I'll, I'll take the goats taking the goats and i'll stick with ndsu or the little giants in this scenario so um you guys what is your least favorite tradition or habit that your favorite team or fan base does brandon anderson is asking this question um my fan base with north dakota state doesn't do this particularly it student section does it sometimes and sometimes i see our fans doing it they do the keychain thing where like it's a big blog and they'll pull out their keychains and like wave their keys around i know tons of schools do this so i'm not defining it to the university of minnesota the gophers but i know it's big with the u of m gophers like they love to shake the keys and do that stuff and i don't really want to be associated with any tradition of like i would guess who are fbs self-made rival would be like Minnesota wouldn't consider us a rival, but you know, we don't really like them too much. So I don't want to be associated with anything Minnesota does for traditions. And that would be my least favorite, Brandon. Uh, Kyler, what's your least favorite for the Eagles of Eastern Washington? Yeah. I remember when I was a toddler and, you know, used to play around with a keychain. fun times. <laughs> um, my least favorite tradition from my own school as of recently we have been losing to Weber in North Dakota State since Aaron Best has taken over. That is four of his only five FCS losses. So the tradition I hate is losing to Weber State or North Dakota State, and I hope that changes this next year. Um, for stuff I love, you know, the Eagles screech at first down. Love that. The cannon shot for every touchdown. Love that. Kyler taking a shot anytime he wants. Love that. <laughs> so there's there's a lot more positives than negatives, but yeah tradition to to go away from it would be losing a weber state in north dakota state good stuff james madison lawrence uh, love or hate for traditions there were a couple games i guess it wasn't last season but maybe the season before where jame you tried to play inner sandman like during like the third quarter or something and like that's everyone knows like that's extremely virginia tech like that's their thing um so whether or not they were like trying to make it a thing at JMU. Like I want to stay as far away from that as possible. Not because Metallica isn't great, but like let other schools have their traditions. So that would be my pick. Perfect. I'm with you on that one for sure. So guys, that rounds out all the questions we received on FCS fans nation on the post. And that is a just beautiful job to kick off week zero and answering all this stuff. So we're going to roll right into thing before shameless plugs. We'll roll into our hot take. You guys may have caught this on the off season, this is basically where one of us takes kind of a take we want to talk about, something we're passionate about, or something controversial about the FCS, and plugs it away. Tonight, I'm going to be talking to you guys a little bit about what we just talked about, traditions. So everybody has traditions. You may have the basic ones. We're going to grandma's house for Christmas, we're eating Thanksgiving turkey, and we're hiding Easter eggs for the kids on Easter. But traditions in college football are some of the things to be most proud of in the entire society of the United States of America. You can think of all the big FBS traditions. You can think about all the trophies. You can think about all the things you see on college football and college game day. But the traditions of the FCS are something I want to promote for everybody to participate in. 
And I say this because sometimes when you go to a game, you may see a new fan, you may see a new individual who maybe doesn't really understand what's going on. Maybe they just don't really get it. And I kind of speak from personal experience from a time when I sat next to two um, international study students that were attending NDSU. And I had so much fun teaching them about, you know, the horns up, the fingers and the screaming during the kickoff about that's another Bison first down. And they were so pumped by the third and fourth quarter just to like be engaging with the crowd, enjoying the moment and actually being part of what football is all about, which is community and cheering on your team and trying the best as a fan to help that team win a game. So whether you're at James Madison and you see somebody who's maybe a little nervous to throw a streamer, uh, maybe somebody doesn't want to sing I'll Fly Away at Jacksonville State after a big win, uh, maybe you are just need to explain that at Idaho, somebody is going to be carrying the American flag when they run out every single time. Or if somebody is like, what am I supposed to wear to the game? I've never been to a Montana State game. Uh, it's gold rush this week. So make sure you're wearing gold, make sure you're wearing yellow so you can fit in. There are a ton, ton of traditions from like the eagle screeching on the first down to all the aspects of the FCS as a whole that people should be aware of. And if they're new to football, if they're new to the game and they don't know, teach them up. You'll find a lot more fun than sitting on your phone filming like the tunnel entrance of NDSU. You might find more fun explaining to somebody instead of spending that time on your screen hey, this is what's about to happen. Get ready for this moment. You know, it's going to be really awesome. And that's a lot better than recording something that you could just check out on YouTube two hours later that 7,000 other people also recorded. So jump into the traditions, guys. Enjoy the HBCU bands. Help other people who don't understand them. Uh, Sing Thunderstruck there at North Dakota State. And just enjoy the things that people don't know. If you're out of Montana game and you see the guy wearing the traditional number 37, point it out. Explain it to somebody. Ask somebody if they know about it. Spread the wealth and knowledge of traditions in college football, because that is what this is all about. It's about building something that's specific to your fan base and making that fan base grow with pride and energy. And those traditions all start on Saturday. So I don't know if Youngstown does a penguin waddle. I don't know if Samford has a real bulldog on the sidelines, but I would love to learn about it for many of you guys. And I'd love to be taught if I'm ever attending those games. So hail true to the traditions. And we're about to kick off your guys on Saturday. Can't wait for them. Boom. So not much of a hot take in terms of controversy, but I definitely just wanted to throw that out for all of the fans out there. So guys, it comes to shameless plug time before we wrap this podcast. Don't worry. Podcast will be weekly from here on out. Um, there might be weeks where it's not all three of us, but somebody will be speaking to you in your car radio or home radio or however you're listening to us right now. So make sure you join FCS Fans Nation, our Facebook group, our Instagram page. You can follow us. You can follow us on Twitter, all of our accounts. That's where you're going to find a wealth of knowledge and engagement, the best place to talk and discuss FCS Fans Nation football. And Lauren Smith, I know you have the awesome Pick'em Challenge that you run throughout the year. Would you like to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Don't forget to sign up for our 2019 FCS Fans Nation Pick'em Challenge. Um, Our Pick'em is a great way to stay engaged in the national FCS picture all season long while also playing for your chance to win over $250. Uh, You can sign up at fcsfansnation.com and look for the Challenges tab. There is a $10 registration fee, but half of that goes to charity and half is going directly back to our champion at the end of the season. That's going to be cash money. Uh, We have decided that registration was planning on being closed this Friday before the week zero kickoff, 
just for you guys so we can get everyone involved. Uh, we're going to extend that for one more week. So August uh, 30th, next Friday, is going to be the last day to sign up. If you don't do it before, then you're going to have to wait until next season to play. Uh, so sign up now before that's too late. Uh, take part in the most engaging FCS contest in the country. Awesome, awesome. It's going to be great, guys. I mean, a chance to give to charity and still win money while being engaged with the Pick'em, that's a really, really good opportunity. So, guys, we've come to the final end of the podcast. Kyler, final thoughts here for Week Zero. Guys, I'm just excited. It's the season or the offseason is finally over. We have real football to, to you know discuss and start engaging on these podcasts. So I am just super excited. Also, I'll do a quick little plug for myself because screw you guys, I can. Um, if you're an Eastern Washington Eagles fan, you can follow my podcast, my individual Eastern one, at, at Eagles Hour. It's on Twitter. Uh, we'll be doing a podcast every single week just like this one um, with the main focus on Eastern Washington athletics. Awesome. Excited to listen to that, Kyler. Excited to listen to anything um, from Jacksonville State to North Dakota State, any podcast. Uh, make sure you guys are checking into Athlon Sports with Craig Haley and uh, Brian McFarlane and Sam Herter for Hero Sports. Those guys are great resources, and what they do for FCS is great, so definitely check out their content as well. Guys, thank you so much for joining me tonight. I am going to enjoy the rest of this beer. I'm going to work the rest of the week, and then Saturday we kick it off, guys. So, and that is all I have. Lawrence, final thoughts? Nothing from me. Awesome. Um, guys, thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week. Kick off on Saturday, everybody. Enjoy it. Boom. Hey, Matthew. Before we stop recording, do you want to say the word Brian McLaughlin so that I can just edit that over top of your original audio? What did I say, McFarlane? I said McFarlane. Like, like Seth McFarlane yeah. from Family Guy. <laughs>